I don't know about you, but when the world's biggest consumer technology show is on today's menu, served by our guest Kathy Reid, it fills me with so much enthusiasm, wonder and more questions than you can imagine. Join us as we welcome you to the Pharmacy of Tomorrow. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, and we have a big, big Big 48th episode for you today. That's right, it is big. I have said it four times, I'm not stuck on loop. I am just so excited today. We're addressing royalty. That's right, Richard Branson is going to make an appearance, believe it or not. And we also have our first second time interview guest on the show today in Kathy Reid. Kathy was literally only a day or so off the plane from Las Vegas and was kind enough to join us on the show. And she was fresh from the consumer electronic show in which mobile health, wearable tech, and 3D printing featured so heavily. I would have loved to have been at CES personally, but through Kathy's Google Glass and another special guest that we have coming your way in two weeks' time, you'll get all the best bits right here on the Transformation Show. Normally on these episodes, as you would have noticed, we usually have a central topic for most of our interviews. But this week, Kathy and I just chose current and future innovation, which is just so exciting for pharmacy. So my only disclaimer is if you are ready to exit the industry, just put that decision on hold until you hear this week's episode. There is so much opportunity. It is dripping from the ceiling and we'll be literally drowning in it. I promise you that. So stay tuned and let me know after this week's episode whether you've changed your mind. But of course, if you're listening to this show, then you're not ready to exit the industry. You know how big a future we can play and the big role that us as pharmacists are going to play in the future. Late last week and early this week, I was down for the count with a virus that left me flat, fatigued and bedridden. But You know, as everyone knows, it just stops your world when you get a virus and you're stuck in bed. And that's literally where I was. Um, And usually at that point, you just really have to delegate everything across to your team and so forth. And one of the things that I had sat perfectly on my shoulders completely all of last year, and of course, last year was the first year of the Transformation Show, and we're coming up to our anniversary, but I had everything on my shoulders. I would do everything. I would do, obviously, all the recording, as you can hear my voice, but I'd do all the mechanics and the joinery and all the distribution, everything you'd see on social media, It was all me, but I made a decision pre-holiday to automate a large portion of that and outsource a lot of it and to delegate it. And I can honestly say that if I hadn't chosen to do that before Christmas, that last week's episode and this week's episode just wouldn't have happened. I would have been impossible. You could barely hear me talk and um, I'm very, very glad to be back on deck today so that I can bring you episode 48, but literally wouldn't have been able to do it. So my learning from this is that delegation and automation is just the overall key to our productivity and our success. And I'm not going to spoil your surprise with Sir Richard coming later, by way of Kathy, of course, but certainly it's something that is just so embedded into our most successful leaders in the world as well. So my challenge to you is think about Are there any processes in your life and in your business that if you stop doing it, it would bring your business or part of it just simply to a halt and make it your mission in 2015 to create a system and remove yourself from that operation so that if by some chance you do end up getting bedridden like I did for the last week, you don't lose part of your business and you don't have to bring it to a halt. And Some of you may be doing better than I do in that capacity, but I'm only just getting started with it. And of course, our show has continued on as a result of it. So I would love you to be able to share with me. If you can't do it publicly, don't. 
I'd be very, very happy to take an email from you, robert at robertstar.com, and let me know what it is that would stop your business if you couldn't, if you if you literally had to come out of it right now. It's something that depended on you. I would love to be able to help you if I can. And as I've found over my journey, technology just plays such a big role in being able to create the impossible. I can tell you that in about four years ago, my father, as you well know, I'm a second generation pharmacist, turned to me after two bookkeepers, not just one, but two, had retired from the businesses that he was running. And he said to me that you've been talking about digital technology for so long, all these online bookkeeping and accounting systems, digital paperless documents and everything. I want you to go and do it. I want you to do it because we're not going to replace these bookkeepers. I want you to find a way to streamline our financial workflows, give me better visibility, but also save me money in doing so. And I can honestly tell you right now that if I hadn't have gone to technology, that wouldn't have been able to be achieved. It did take two years to get it happening. I did manage to do it. We went across to zero. We started using Shoebox. Funnily enough, there are things that I've shared with you on this show already, but literally would have been impossible in to be able to not achieve that. We did do it. We're able to get some bookkeepers that work off-site, that work very, very well with our accountants, and we're able to save a truckload of money over that two-year two period. Um, something in the order of about eighty to about 150000 over those two years in saving those operating costs, which ultimately is a great challenge for all of you to see how efficient you can get your businesses as well. It's really important that you look at these workflows, look at the challenges, and see what you can do with it. And of course, as you're listening to this show, I'm going to give you some great tips to be able to do that. But of course, if you want to reach out and learn a bit more about that particular example, I'd love to share more of it with you. But I don't want to hold us up any further before our interview today. But also, we've come around a few bits of news that have come up this year. I'd love to know how you're going. Now, of course, of course, that could have many, many different levels on it, but I'd love to know whether you got a chance to have a break from your pharmacy over the summer. Have you set some goals for 2015? And how are you feeling about 2015? I know that sometimes it's just really, really hard to think positively when we've got so much negativity floating around. We've got PBS reform. We're being asked now to embrace perhaps immunisation this year, which should be viewed as a positive. And we've got the NAPSA Congress on right now where pharmacy students from all across Australia are talking about their roles that they can play. Personally, I believe that pharmacy students could play a huge role in developing our digital strategies in our community pharmacies. And there's a huge possibility for them to shape our future in an online and digital space as well as our physical space. I think it would be a great marriage between pharmacy student and pharmacy owner particularly those who are a bit more tech savvy, to be able to bring together some of the different things that they can do. But we need to make room in our businesses to play a bigger game. I know last year I spoke a lot about doing more with less, and that really was the central theme of why I wrote Transformation for all of you, to be able to look at how you can embrace technology in your business. But it's now a time for us to play a bigger game. And not just a bigger game in creating more technology and more things around pharmacy, but really stepping back and saying that we need to play a big game in healthcare. As you're going to hear from Kathy today, we've got so many opportunities coming our way that we literally don't have room for our old and manual processes. We need to build capacity to be able to deliver full and remarkable pharmacy services. And you just can't simply bolt these services on. I know that there have been a lot of pharmacists who have been thinking, well, how can we do vaccinations? We just simply don't have time. We're going to have owners that are going to come to us and say, we've got to do vaccination on top of everything else, like we have to do with the meds checks. And they're right. We need to create headroom by becoming more operationally efficient. So there's the challenge, guys. You're going to be so excited by a lot of what we're going to talk about today. But just remember, everything new that we bring to our businesses to improve it and surviving and thriving, we need to let go of the past and we need to become more efficient. Our interview today is with Kathy Reid. She's the managing partner of Epic Pharmacy, one of Australia's largest pharmacy service providers to the hospital, oncology and aged care sectors. She's also one of Australia's first Google Glass explorers and a strong advocate of digital healthcare and the role wearable 
wearable technology can play in actively engaging consumers to better manage their own health. Kathy Reid, welcome to the Transformation Show. Great to be back, Rob. Thanks for having me uh, speak again. Oh, absolutely. And uh, our first, uh, our first re- repeat guest on this show, and it's certainly an esteemed one. And uh, it's been 37 weeks since we spoke last, and I'm sure all of our listeners are keen to know what's been happening in your world since then. It's been a pretty busy 37 weeks, I have to say. Um, well, for a start, our pharmacy group has rebranded, so we're no longer APHS Pharmacy. We've moved on and we're now Epic Pharmacy. Um, we're certain we have a new business up and running, Epic Digital, which is working on all of our new digital health um, products and components. And yeah, no shortage of activity going on in our space. Oh, look, absolutely. And, and I guess looking at Epic Digital and particularly, as we'll, as we'll no doubt update everyone on uh, where you've gone with Google Glass, and maybe that's the best starting point, is um, what have you been exploring, pardon the pun, with Google Glass <laughs> si- since we last spoke? And uh, what have you found have been the best applications, I guess, for your business and for pharmacy? Yeah, look, I've had a fantastic year with my Google Glass and quite literally been exploring all over the world with them. Um, As well as using them in the personal capacity, we've been really focused on what the enterprise applications are because my my view has certainly been pretty much from not long after starting using them that the, the real application was actually going to be in the value they could deliver in the enterprise to enterprise and in the workplace. So the, the sort of things that we're looking at using them for in pharmacy are um, uh, training. So particularly one of our initial use case scenarios is going to be in our chemotherapy business where we're using them for the technicians that we're training and the pharmacists that we're training to do that work to be able to be having their technique assessed real time in video calls by assessors who can be located not only outside of the clean room but outside outside of their geographic location and giving them commentary on their technique and how they're utilising those. So we're really excited about that as well as being able to do um, is to do video calls between between pharmacists in different sites and really using that collaboration. We're going to be bringing that in as part of our uh, pre-registration pharmacist program this year, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And, you know, it's such a scary year for a lot of uh, intern pharmacists. It's their first year out where they're starting to get full accountability and responsibility. And uh, I imagine that um, you'll be able to, you know, simply just dial in a, a pharmacist. I think we spoke about that last time. Um, so is that really how it's going to turn out for the students and the interns? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're uh, planning on ha- hooking them up with a buddy in one of the other epic pharmacies outside of their actual workplace location so they can have those open and honest conversations about any anything that they're experiencing broaden their scope to a wider range of of practice as well and um, yeah really really it's a bit of a, a buddy and a mentor program so we're really excited about that and, and what are the preceptors thinking? I think typically over the years it's always been a case of, well, I'll be looking over your shoulder and seeing what you're doing. And how are they seeing, I guess, that transition from the physical to the digital? Look, our team are super excited about it. And we had our own ideas about how we could utilise Google Glass and the broader application of that telehealth and video, because not all of those interactions will be via Glass. We've we've actually got more pre-registration students than we have Google Glass units at this point. So, but the, but the same application is going to be accessible to them via any other device, iPad, iPhone, Android, laptop, PC. Um, so... But our team are constantly giving us new ideas in how how they think it can be used and, and what applications we're going to be. So what we think we're doing with it today, I imagine once we actually start getting the reality of it in practice, we'll end up involving a whole lot of other use case scenarios too. So can't wait to see what the team come up with there. Yeah, well, I guess it's like any, 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 new, any new technology, it just keeps evolving and there'll be new applications that will come forward and different plugins and third parties that, uh, you know, realistically, you, you may never know where it may end up at the end of it. Yeah, there's some fantastic work being done in the US around access to um, electronic health records through using glass and particularly in the, for doctors. And I've met a few of the doctors who have been involved in those projects and they're having extraordinary 
extraordinarily res good results and great acceptance of that with the medicos really finding it a very very valuable tool so we're looking forward to expanding on that and seeing how that's going to work from a pharmacist perspective yeah, no, look, absolutely. And, and I am a keen reader of your blog and I'm sure if all of our listeners want to know more about anything we're talking about today, they can head across to kathyreid.com. And um, there, I think there was, a, there was a segment you had in one of your recent articles about a firm over there getting a large grant for utilising glass with doctors. Yeah, that's a company called Augmedics. So they've uh, they've just closed another funding round and with a really really significant investment level in there. So Glass in Healthcare is shaping up as one of the really significant enterprise applications. So it's an exciting place to be playing in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess with doctors and so, so forth, I think the original use cases that we were looking at were, you know, the very fact that you wouldn't have to carry this huge chart around and you'd be able to dial up the medication records and the medical history and perhaps even dictate notes through. But I guess what are the, what are the cutting edge use cases that they're finding now? That's, that's actually very much the utilisation scenarios that are panning out So, and they're the things that the doctors are finding really, really valuable, being able to access that information, as you say, being able to dictate um, up, updates, take, take quick snapshots to record progress of, you know, of, of wounds or rashes or all sorts of things like that. So it, it's those real core functionalities of being able to readily access hands Ready, readily access information line of sight and hands-free and being able to easily capture line of sight information via video and, and photo and record that through. I think, I think it would be fascinating to be a patient in that scenario because you'd just be looking at the doctor just talking, reading, and, and the visible eye, they wouldn't be really looking at anything other than you and uh, yeah. quite a yeah, futuristic scenario. Yeah, and the, the patient feedback, certainly from the doctors that I've spoken to who use glass every day in their practice, has been that the patients are very, very accepting at it and they actually feel that their doctor is far more engaged with them than constantly looking away to a screen. So it's been really positively received in their experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just look at the traditional ways that doctors used to write into medical histories. They'd spend the entire consultation writing and only ever so slightly glance up at the patient after asking all the questions. So it, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, as, as, um, as no doubt we're going to be talking about things like telehealth, it, it really does lend itself to, you know, potentially those distance relationships or virtual relationships to bring patients closer to their doctors. Absolutely. And so one of the ones you did reference was Doctor on Demand in the, uh, in the US. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how that works? I know it's got a very high profile uh, founder in Dr. Phil, uh, but why is that seeing so much traction over, over there? Look, I think Doctor on Demand is a really interesting story because it's actually, it's actually illustrating that it's meeting a need of patients. So the basic premise is you download the app to either your iPhone or your Android device. You set up a basic account, which is, um, includes credit card details to pay for the consultation and a basic medical history that you outline. And then you basically just push the button to say you, you wish to see a doctor, it's a $40 fee for a 15-minute consultation. And on average, you're connected to a GP within, uh, within two minutes. So it's really opening up that access to a doctor wherever you are located geographically. And I think there's, there's two great applications here. One being that you don't actually have to leave your home if you're feeling sick. You know, if you've, if you've got a head cold and you're feeling revolting and you don't actually want to get out of your pyjamas and get in the car and drive to the doctor and be sitting there being coughing and sneezing over everybody else, you can actually have the consultation with your GP. With the American system and the way that it works, the doctors can prescribe and have that prescription sent to the pharmacy. Um, they can do referrals. I think, they, I think they were saying they can treat 17 out of the 20 most common reasons for a GP visit. But, I mean, obviously there are some things that still require a physical examination and, and they, those aren't there. 
any conditions that require the treatment of any narcotics or, or drugs of dependency. They won't prescribe those over the phone. But, you know, your basic coughs and colds, your repeat prescription requirements, um, there's a lot of things that can be really easily treated that way. And it's, ver- it's very easy and convenient for the patients. And it, it's, it's taking off like a rocket. Mm. And obviously being downloadable via a smartphone application, it can be done anywhere, anytime. Yeah. And what well, I guess we've seen, I guess maybe the precursors of what we've seen in Australian pharmacies have been the doctor via Skype and so forth, but that's really been an in-pharmacy Skype doctor consultation. Yeah. Um, so I guess there's a fair way to go before we start seeing that over here. Look, I, I'm not sure. I think it's interesting to see how um, how quickly this space is moving. And there's, I think the thing that's really flipping some of the, the way things have been done previously quite quickly is, is patient-driven demand. And if there becomes this grounds, if somebody does launch a product like that in Australia and there's enough patients who actually want to utilise it, I mean, I don't know that we're going to be in a position where we see Medicare rebates or anything like that for mm-hmm. that type of consultation anywhere in the near future. But there's plenty of people who place enough value on their time that, you know, if they, if they need to go to the doctor to get, you know, a repeat for a long-standing medication. You know, one of one of my colleagues actually said the other day, you know, I have to go to the GP every year to get a repeat for my son's EpiPen prescription. And, you know, nothing changes with his nut allergy. There's no issue that he actually requires a physical consultation in that time. And she said, I'd happily pay 40 bucks to do a 15-minute GP consult online via an app that means that I don't have to make a time potentially take my kid out of school to take him to the doctor to see the doctor to get this prescription on a 12-month basis so I think I think we may see a user pays scenario here and if if there's enough patients who are actually looking for that kind of service. Mm. And I guess maybe even the adoption rate over in the US had something to do with the health funds um, paying for a lot of those consultations or, well, or at least co-paying for them. Well, interestingly, that's, that's come about because of patient demand. Mm. It, was a, it was a non-reimbursable fee originally, and then the number of patients that were using it and then campaigning to their, to their health insurer to say, why, why can't I be reimbursed for this in the same way that I am for a physical visit? And that's what's actually brought the funds to the table. Yeah, well, look, obviously patient demand, I think, drives everything. And, uh, you know, obviously there was a massive backlash here only recently around, you know, almost the close abolition of bulk billing with the Mm. uh, GP co-payment, and that's been flipped back on its head. But I dare say if that hadn't been flipped on its head, it probably would have opened the door for, you know, a large demand for this type of service. Yeah, I think it certainly had the potential to accelerate it significantly. Yeah. And I guess doctor on demand, what about pharmacy on demand? Is that something that, you know, obviously there's a lot of patients that sometimes find it very hard to get to us in our pharmacies and particularly rural and remote centres. And obviously in, in your businesses, you've got some very specialised cases. So is, have you found a way to integrate that into Epic Pharmacy? We sure have. We actually have a project underway at the moment where we're introducing telehealth consultations in a pilot program for patients who've been diagnosed with cancer and want to be able to have um, consultations with their oncology pharmacist around what their ramifications of their chemotherapy treatment are, what it's going to mean. You know, you, getting, getting a cancer diagnosis is an incredibly stressful time and one of the things that happens is cancer treatment tends to happen in specialised centres and patients very rarely live in the immediate vicinity of those centres. They have to actually travel to get there. And so they've come in, they've seen their, they've seen their specialist, they've got the news that they've had cancer, they've been told what their, what their treatment regime's going to be. And it's very, very common, and, and I know in my own family's circumstance, when my, when my father was diagnosed with cancer, getting that diagnosis is, is equivalent to you know being hit by a bus. It's a very big shock, and you don't take a lot of information in once you hear those words. So you get given all of this information, and then you go home and you actually start to try and remember what you had. And and I think chemotherapy is a is a very emotive thing for patients. They they are concerned, you know, am I going to get sick? Am I going to lose my hair? All of those, you know, traditional 
aspects to chemotherapy that that now don't apply to every to every person with advances in treatment and there's a there's a lot of ways to manage this, the side effects and the negative aspects of it and if in fact you're even on a regime that's going to see you suffer from any of those but you're not always thinking clearly enough at the time to both ask the questions that you want to ask and then retain the information that you're given so we think the option for patients to actually be able to then book a telehealth consult with their oncology pharmacist to talk through those questions once they're through that initial shock or and even during the course of their treatment after they've had their treatment and gone home, if they're experiencing something that they're that they're concerned about as a side effect, or they're wanting to know, are they managing this well? Is there a better way that they could be doing it for them and their family to be able to have face-to-face access with that specialist oncology pharmacist is something that that we think, and certainly the the initial patient. Um, response to being asked as to whether they'd be interested in that survey has been very positive. So we're really looking forward to getting that up and running in this first quarter of this year and uh, you'll, we'll certainly be, uh, we'll be reporting back on how that goes. Yeah, no, look, it's such, it's such, a, it's such debilitating side effects that you can have with the nausea and always the, you know, the risk of if you spike a fever, particularly when you've got those low white cell counts. And mm. I, I dare say it's just really reassuring to have close contact contact and uh, yeah. as, as you said it's very confronting when you're first diagnosed and you go through the chemotherapy and there's all those new things that you need to start looking out for that uh, to have someone at the touch of a button I think I would assume that yeah. most patients would find that very reassuring. Uh, I think I think there's real application in retail pharmacy as well, though, Rob. You, you know, you you've got young kids yourself, and I know my my kids are a little older now. But when your kids are sick when they're young, the last thing that you actually want to do sometimes is bundle them up and put them in the car and drive to the pharmacy. So the pharmacy, who is often your first port of call, to look at and say, you know, do I really need to take this child to a doctor, or can it be managed with over the counter medicine? But bundling a sick child into a into the car and taking them into the pharmacy can be quite an effort, particularly yeah. if you've got a couple of little ones. I would have loved the opportunity when I was a, a mum of young kids to be able to video call my pharmacist, show them you know, how the child's looking, show them the rash and say, you know, am I being paranoid or is this really measles? And be able to have that discussion without, you know, even, yeah, that one, do you want to bring your kids into the pharmacy and say, can you look through my kids' hair and tell me whether they've got nits or not? (laughs) And as a pharmacist, I know I'd far rather be looking at a potential head through of nits through a video screen than uh, (laughs) than close close up and personal. Absolutely. You'd be be watching for the jumpers. So I think there are some great applications for pharmacists to to offer that as a service in their in their retail pharmacy environments, and uh, and I think it's also a service that patients would value and be prepared to pay for. You know, we we've got to look as an at an as an industry at new ways that we actually value our time and and achieve uh, achieve the value that our service is delivering and I think ideas like that are really something that do have great potential to open up new revenue streams. Well absolutely and, and convenience and time saving ability is something we always undersell ourselves on. Exactly. And um, you know the price of the product or even service like a flu vaccine which had been very competitive last winter between uh, the larger banner groups including Chemist Warehouse it's not just about the once off visit it's about you know obviously what you can do to contribute positively to the whole health journey and make exactly. it easier for those patients and you know traditionally as you said like we've always have been that first point of call but because we haven't evolved with technology in that regard nurse on call is probably you know jumped over us as perhaps that first call as opposed to the pharmacy but if we then uptake telehealth it's uh we can then leapfrog back up and i think there's some great examples i still remember back to my uh internship which i uh, not not internship i did a uh, student placement in fourth year uh down uh near warrnambool and we visited a pharmacy depot in port campbell and they were using telehealth to communicate back to the base pharmacy um as as they were then so you know that was uh uh, ooh, 2000 and 2002 so the technology's been there for a while oh, yeah. we, we just need to jump on it I think exactly exactly I think it's I think it's got huge potential and and I agree with you completely if pharmacy doesn't jump in and claim its space someone else will take that space and once it's gone it'll be incredibly difficult to get back 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess from talking to our patients from a distance and our patients being in their homes, um, one of the things I was very keen to talk to you about because it was a massive topic that came out of CES, which uh, you're a proud visitor of and a very good blogger of, by the way. So if our listeners want to know more about Kathy's journey at CES, jump across to her blog site. But um, 3D printing and a good friend of mine, Morris Mizalowski, who we're all going to hear from in a few weeks, is going to talk about the fourth industrial revolution. But what does 3D printing mean for pharmacy? Look, it's it's actually really interesting to see where, where 3D printing is going to go in pha- in the pharmacy space, I mean, there was a there was an article earlier this week that was doing the rounds on a company from the UK, I think it was, that had developed a way where you could th- where you could print medicines, so you could actually combine all sorts of you know, if you're taking six different pills in the morning, that you could actually combine them all into one that you 3D printed in your own home. Now, personally, I think there's a huge amount of challenges around the 3D printing of medicines from a regulatory and a quality perspective and everything else. And I would be surprised if we saw that happen in the in the immediate future, mm. I think there's a lot of a lot of water to pass under the bridge before we see people 3D printing their own medicines. But I think from a business perspective, we're um, we're we're rapidly going to see one one of the great analogies that was used at, at CES was that we can expect to see established in the near future. Um, what will be the the 3D printing version of Kinko? And this wasn't actually that long ago, but if you remember. Back before it was commonplace to have really high quality printers, you know, you had your clunky little printer that you used yourself, but if you needed a good quality print job, yeah. you, you there were print centres, which Kinko was one of the brands, and you sent your file to your, Kinko and you had that printed out and it saved you from having to invest in those high quality printers yourself. Now, as printer technology has advanced so quickly, that business model has gone by the wayside because everyone can publish in-house to an extraordinarily high standard. But 3D printing is going to see, again, a proliferation of these centralised 3D printing centres where you'll be able to send your file for anything that you want. And instead of having to order a product, buy a product online and wait for it to be shipped from the other side of the world, potentially you will buy the file for that product, have it printed locally. And I think it's going to have enormous ramifications on the transportation industry because if if we're not actually going to need to ship things in the way that we have previously because we're going to be able to produce them locally in our own neighbourhoods, that has huge ramifications obviously for those countries that are really making their mark, making their dollars through manufacturing at the moment it's going to be incredibly disruptive for them and uh, i think i think it's one thing where where pharmacy is actually in a fortunate place that we're not dependent on ip around product design because I think it's going to be incredibly challenging to govern that space where if you've got a patent on a product design, if people can actually just then recreate that product as a file and 3D print it. I mean, one of the things I saw at CES was was a, a metal, like an outdoor couch that was printed out of a metal fabrication. Now, apparently, it had taken 10, day, 10 full days of printing mm. to produce, but, you know, you, you could sit on it. it. It was robust, and that technology is moving very fast. It's not going to take 10 days to produce something like that very long, but that's still... And, you know, it, it was a really artsy... The kind of thing that at the moment, if you wanted to order, you'd probably have to wait for it to be produced by some artisan in Italy yeah. and wait three months for it to be shipped. Now, being able to produce that by a picture you've taken off the internet in, in your own home or your own neighbourhood is um, is really going to change things quite significantly. So I have to say I'm, with, I'm really excited about 3D printing, but I'm very, very glad that I'm not sitting there with a lot of my value tied up in, in design patents. <laughs> I have uh, to say. Look, look, absolutely. And look, I guess, you know, as you say, it's it's going to be a while for pharmacy to really get hold of that because 3D printers that would probably be applied to our industry would require each 3D printer to have its own chemistry set inside and, uh, you know, utilising the blueprint 
percent of the uh, chemical structure um, yeah. to be the file, um, and then you print the medicine. Um, and, and whilst that's you know logically possible, um, it's probably some way off. I know there, I know there was a, a TED talk I think that came out last year where they were talking about what uh, medicines may look like in about twenty years. And if I can grab that up, I'll put it in the show notes for this episode as well. But it's it's a really interesting one because you know again um, you know we probably uncover the secret behind Rosie the robot on the Jetsons and how she managed to print breakfast for them every every morning and uh, she obviously had a 3D printer in her kitchen. Uh, Clearly. So. Well, you, you, one of the things that made me laugh was that there was 3D printed food there and in this, in this um, era, I guess, where we all love our selfies, you can actually get a, utilizing the combination of you know selfies and scanners and everything else you can print edible 3d wedding cake toppers of in your own replica so you know the traditional bride and groom wedding cake topper can now be edible and incorporate a selfie or you know it can be the real bride and groom so i thought that was hilarious i don't know i I certainly, well, I have no intention of needing a wedding cake anytime in the near yeah. future, but uh, I can't imagine that I'd actually be, uh, be that keen to replicate myself on the top of the wedding cake in a, in a 3D edible printed version. Well, I suppose it's interesting in that, uh, you know, with uh, relatives and so forth that live on the other side of the world, that uh, the types of gifts you could be sending them on their birthday at short notice probably now grows from flowers to all sorts of customised, customisable things that you could print. Um, yeah. And look, we, we use the technology in our rebrand. You know, we have uh, one of the things in our um, sort of as part of our 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 culture and the, the, the creation of things that we've done is we have this little guy, he's, he's a slice of bread and he's, he's our bread man and it ties back into our reward and recognition program where people can acknowledge other team members as, you know, you're the best thing since sliced <laughs> bread. So yeah. we've got this little bread man and we used we incorporated him in quite a lot of the rebrand works. You, you see him pop up in some of the, you know, the unveiling of the new brand and we actually had him 3D printed and sent little 3D printed versions of him to around to all of the sites and previously you know it would have been quite difficult you would have had to get a mold made of him and send him off send the mold off to china and have him manufactured en masse over there but we were able to 3d print him for for all of the sites so that was that was really cool yeah, no, absolutely. And um, Kathy, as we spoke about a lot in episode eleven, wearable tech, and there's been, you know, obviously a huge proliferation in the last six months. Every retailer in Australia seems to be jumping on it, except for pharmacy. So, where where do you think the tipping point for pharmacy will be with wearable tech? Look, I think one of my big takeouts from reinforced at CES, but from the, you know, certainly the the knowledge that I've gained through looking around what's going on in the rest of the world is we're really seeing wearables on the cusp now of moving from their previous iteration as predominantly fitness-related devices into genuine health devices. And I think that's the time where pharmacy is going to have to look at really seriously getting involved because collecting... One of the terms that was used that was really interesting at the Digital Health Summit was the concept of digital prescribing. We're going forward it's going to be just as important digital prescribing where patients are prescribed devices and digital programs to utilize as part of their treatment is going to become just as commonplace as medicine prescribing and you know pharmacists are going to have to be just as ready to fill those prescriptions as they are for 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 the prescriptions for the pills that we're all used to filling now so Gathering data and being able to track and gather that data, and it's not all going to be about the wristband. I mean, everything is still very much wrist-focused at this stage, but that's going to be that's going to change really quickly. The proliferation of sensors and the ability to incorporate sensors into everything. So we're going to see really effortless data gathering where sensors are incorporated just into things that people wear every day, that they utilise as part of their daily activities, that battery life is extending. You're not going to have the challenge of having to recharge you know, recharge your Fitbit or recharge your device at the moment to, to capture the information. And all of that data is going to come in, be analysed and consolidated up into usable takeouts that then influence what the person's 
treatment regime is going to be for different things. And pharmacists have really got to get educated in this space pretty quickly. And it's, it's why I am a little disappointed that as an industry, we haven't been able to... We've, we've left the sale of the, the fitness wearables to the Harvey Normans and, and the, retail, the electronics retailers because we had the opportunity there to really start having those conversations with our patients around the value of collecting data and how data can be utilised to, to, to better improve and better manage health outcomes. And I think we, we, we do really need to get up to speed on that very, very quickly and get ourselves in that space because digital prescribing is coming fast. And to me, pharmacy is the logical place to have that tied in as, you know, being able to fill a digital prescription as well as we fill a, a medicine prescription. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly, you know, looking backwards at a number of APPs ago, I remember Cos talking about the Microsoft Health Vault and how we were the chosen industry partner to be involved in that and how polar connected devices were going to come in. And obviously, we've, we haven't seen uh, Microsoft Health Vault come to fruition. We've just recently seen Apple release their health kit and, uh, you know, seen some great case studies coming out of the US, particularly through the Mayo Clinic, um, which are doing all of those things that we're talking talking about in terms of those digital prescriptions, but also being able to actively engage patients when their blood pressure has dropped or it's increased without the patient actually having to trigger it themselves. Exactly. And and I think that's the key thing that, you know, more and more as the technology develops, our patients are starting to become more attuned to the fact that we should know more about them than we profess to do in our face-to-face interactions. Another term that was used at CES was adaptive medicine, which is where where basically treatment regimes are adapted very quickly and dosages adjusted in response to to real-time data. So to me, the analogy that that drew was a bit like, you know, a lot of pharmacists got very involved in, in warfarin programs where you'd have the patients that have their INR and then their dose would be adjusted depend not always with needing you know, in every not every case the doctor actually needed to be involved and again this was something where where nurses claim great ownership of this space where the dose was dependent on the INR results and adjusted as a consequence of those and I think we're actually going to see that that style of program extend where you'll see dosages prescribed within a range that is then adjusted based on the data of whatever the whatever the metrics are that are being captured and monitored and I think again pharmacists have got a great opportunity to set themselves up as the person who's got that ability to interface with the patient and give them the advice on you know it might be that your heart rate's going that is sitting now in this range so you need to scale back the dose of this for the period of time your blood pressure or anything else so again adaptive medicine is something I think that's really a a great space for pharmacy to be looking at and it's these changes are going to happen quite quickly we are going to see them occur within I think within the next five and certainly 10 years they're going to be a common part a really common place in in day-to-day treatment of everyday conditions. Yeah, and it just underlines patient-centric healthcare and personalisation. You know, we've seen only probably recently in the last three to four years, pharmacogenomics being a big movement. And certainly there are a number of pharmacies that have uptaken that testing regimen into their professional services suite. And now that means that we can sort of work out which medicines aren't going to work based on the genetic structure and perhaps whether they're a P450, cytochrome P450 poor metabolizer or a rapid inducer or anything like that. And I guess there's a real challenge coming up there in terms of our original pack medications in that they come in specific strengths, but it could well be that if we're practicing adaptive medicine, we're going to need specific dosages as opposed to the 20, 40, 80 milligram tablets that we traditionally have. That was exactly what a number of the big pharma representatives who attended the Digital Health Summit were talking about. And one of the discuss- one of the session topics was actually... Um, titled something I can't remember the exact name of it but it was it was something around um life beyond life beyond the pill and it was very much around the fact that 
exactly as you said, those so the current solid dose orals don't allow that kind of flexibility. And are we actually going to see now with the with the technologies around wearable patches and infusion infusion through the skin or implants and those kind of things? Are we going to see medicine move to different delivery systems from the traditional solid oral? And again, I think. We'll certainly see some shift towards that. I, I don't think the solid oral is going to be replaced any time in the near future, but I think we can certainly expect to see some um, a, a world beyond the solid, solid oral expanding quite fast. Yeah, and, and, and probably also in, in compounding as well. We've always been, you know, perhaps been making up discontinued medicines or different release rate dosage forms, but it could very well be that compounding needs to merge with technology as well and that pharmacies are the ones producing those wearable patches infused with the medicines. So that could exactly. be an interesting one. Yep, yep, completely agree. Yeah, and interesting. Just uh, just before we uh, move away from wearables, are you looking at uh, disposing of your Fitbit with the iWatch coming out this year? <laughs> it's actually funny. I haven't worn my Fitbit for a while, and not because I was uh, was disengaged with it, but I um I I broke my ankle in an unfortunate trampolining accident <laughs> with the kids in oh, June no. last year that saw me spend four months on crutches wearing a moon boot and unable to and basically having to be off my foot whenever possible and yeah. I'm still not in a position where I can do any kind of um, impact exercise and I got my Fitbit got me so cheesed off I, I was really annoyed about the injury to start with and really annoyed about the impact that it was having and the Fitbit was actually reinforcing that because it was a visual reminder every day of how inactive I was compared yeah. to my previous levels of activity. So in a bit of a temper tantrum one day, I took it off and threw it in a bowl and said, I'm not coming back to you until I can actually do a level of activity that I'm... Um that I'm happy with because it was it was actually acting as a negative reinforcer of the the negative impact that this injury had had on my activity levels yeah. so it, it was it was kind of funny in a way because it did actually still show the power that having that that information delivered to you can actually have on your perception of yourself and your health and it was actually making me feel sicker and worse than and more negative about the injury than I or than I already was so I uh, I thought it was best to try and remove that source of negativity for the time being but I will go back to it and I am watching with huge interest for the iWatch I'm um, I'm really excited to see what that what that delivers and very much hoping that it lives up to the hype. I, I don't know if it will, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Well, I guess it just reinforces that wearable tech's probably the best accountability buddy anyone can have when they set these New Year's resolutions in that the data doesn't lie and the technology doesn't lie. So a lot of yeah. people might say, oh, look, I'm going to run 20Ks every week. And uh, then when they get you know into February and it's down to you know 5 or 6Ks and it's reminding them they haven't done it, um, you know, it's just reminding them what the actual goal was and that they can't lie to themselves. But you know, it, it, that's, that's an interesting debate I'm having with my myself at the moment as to whether I continue to have the wristband and the watch on the in the same. I, I don't think I could justify having having a, an iWatch and a, fit, a Fitbit or Jawbone, which I've been using. Um, I, I just would love to see it all merge together. Um, and whether or not they can effectively do that with iWatch Mark 1 will be a very interesting thing. That's a, that was a really interesting debate at CES around whether uh, there's because there's very much two camps. There's one that's trying to consolidate as many devices as possible into one to capture information, but then the which is really where the industries have been going and focusing on sort of for the last twelve months or so. But there's a new and emerging thought now around the doing the reverse and actually multiple different devices capturing different different information based on that whole sort of digital prescription concept for what are the things that are actually relevant and, and bringing it back to that personalisation level. But the rider being that the devices have to be non-intrusive, so potentially built into clothing, built into jewellery that you wear on a day-to-day -day basis. And some potentially, some people were even talking about implants. Now, I don't know how many people are actually prepared to have 
an mm. implant injected into their body for the purposes of capturing information. But uh, I guess it depends you know, on, on your use case scenario. Now, I'm not aware of a device that's actually being mooted that that does this. This is purely speculative. Mm. But I guess if you're a diabetic and you've actually got to do a fingerprint test multiple times a day to check your, your blood glucose levels, you may actually be motivated to replace that with an implant that communicates at a real time with your iPhone or device to say what your blood sugar levels are and alert you as soon as you're going out of spec rather than having to do that to do that injection and as I said I'm not aware of any device that's actually under development that does that but it, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if that was something that not only was being considered but also actually had good potential patient uptake that's that's the kind mm. of thing where I could see people being prepared to have something implanted and that's the key the non-intrusiveness you know I think you know yeah. that, the biggest thing for me trying to consolidate is just that I don't have to put on so many different devices yeah. every day. Um, but yeah. if all of a sudden it's something that's built into an everyday piece of clothing, um, you know, whether whether it's built into you know all the all the different watches, whether it's built yep. into an add-on to your phone, I don't know. But uh, yeah, no, I think I think that'll be interesting. And um, Kathy, I also wanted to before we uh, before we finish up is. Um, there's been some great changes in the way rewards programs and loyalty programs have been implemented in pharmacies in the US and uh, you know particularly Walgreens do very well and I guess they're automatically trying to sync up some of this wearable tech data to obviously validate the wellness and lifestyle changes that patients are making and rewarding them for that as opposed to the visits or the dollar spend in store. Um, is there anything that you can see coming here very soon with that and I guess what have you observed in that space? Look, I've got no visibility of anything coming in the Australian market. There, there may well be, but I would ideally hope that there is because I think the Walgreens program has been phenomenally successful um, They've been, and is about to go to a, a whole new level. They, their, their rewards program for an extended period of time has, has allowed people to connect up devices like Fitbits and the like and achieve rewards, not just for spending, but for actual shifting that as a to a different paradigm where their customers are rewarded for healthy activities so being able to once you do a if you do a set over 10,000 steps a day for however many days you 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 generate rewards to your pharmacy rewards program so putting that focus back on health and and rewarded for for good healthy behavior um they, Walgreens announced at CES a new partnership with Qualcomm, which is all about taking that to an even greater level and very much some of the other areas that we've been talking about, giving their pharmacists access to even more data around their patients that are better enabling them to advise them on their healthcare decisions. Well, the I think he was the president or vice president of, of the digital customer or is a terminology something like that but certainly they've got some very very senior roles at Walgreens who who are purely focused on digital health and how they how they're digitally engaging with their customers from a health perspective he was talking about the um, you know they they do 10,000 pharmacist patient chats every week already wow. at Walgreens and he was saying what a natural next step it is for those pharmacists then to be actually getting data beyond the number of steps that patients have done but around you know it might be around blood pressure or blood sugar levels or those sort of things to be able to be to make those chats even more informed and more value adding to the patients so there's, there's huge potential there and I think it's where, like we referenced earlier, I think pharmacists having that ability to, to start having those conversations with patients around the value of collecting their data and monitoring their data and the improvements that that, that can deliver to the person around their own health information, but also giving their health professionals the ability to work more closely with them on delivering the best possible health outcomes for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we talk about so much about that changing role of a pharmacist in becoming an advisor as opposed to a dispenser yeah. or a supplier. And, and you know, in, in any industry, you can't be an advisor if you don't have the information and the data to be able to translate. And, you know, we live in a world where everything is a Google click away. And it doesn't mean that our patients know more about themselves in their healthcare or even the data on their wrists or ankles, whatever. Um, but they need someone to actually tell them what 
does it mean and how can I get better? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I guess, I guess you know, we've seen in the last year, we've seen Medibank hand out a lot of Fitbits and so forth. So it could be a space where health insurances get involved and perhaps that might be a driver into pharmacy. But I guess just touching on that Walgreens example, have they seen any strategic or any massive change in health and wellbeing outcomes as a result of that program? I, they they didn't talk to that. They didn't talk to any of the data that they'd captured with there or any outcome drivers. And I guess that's the that is one of the challenges at the minute. Where if you're capturing, if you're only capturing one part of the data in terms of activity levels, without being able to without having the additional information of blood pressure, blood sugar rate some of those metrics that you know we know increased activity levels can improve reduce blood pressure in patients with high blood pressure if it's because they're unfit and obese and that's contributing to their blood pressure being elevated and equally if their weight and inactivity is contributing to their elevated blood sugar levels if you're able to incorporate those other data sets that's when you can actually really do those proof of proof scenarios that you, where you can illustrate to the patient, you know, your increased activity level is directly translating into these health outcomes for you. But while you're only working from part of the data, it's very difficult to draw those extrapolations. Yeah, yeah, no, look, ab- ab- absolutely. And I can't let you go without asking you about uh, Big Richard Branson. W- what was the, I guess, the most powerful thing you took away from meeting him? And I know that I uh, hit you up very cheekily for a question <laughs> for him, and uh, it was a good answer. I enjoyed that. But, I, I um, only wish you could have seen the twinkle in his eye as he gave it. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess for our listeners, uh, what, what the question I asked Kathy was, was uh, does Richard have any thoughts about what would be the next big thing in pharmacy? And uh, I, th- I think you, I'll let you answer the answer, tell him what he said. Look, he, he looked back at me and he, with, he gave me this very, very cheeky grin with the twinkle in his eye and he said, look, it's not a space I'm looking at at the moment, which he said... Um, is probably good news for you. And he said, but, uh, but tell your friend, if I had any brilliant ideas around it, I wouldn't be sharing them with him. He'd be finding out about it as I took the market by storm. So uh, I thought that was a pretty funny answer. Yeah, no, look, the, the, the king of disruption and, you know, certainly every single challenge that he faces every day almost turns into a business. And, you know, I don't think you'd want to be one of those industries that uh, ticks him off with whatever you do because <laughs> uh, you, he may come in and storm your industry very quickly if he doesn't like what you're doing. So Absolutely. Uh, but um, outside, I guess, I guess of that, what was the uh, the biggest takeaway that you took from uh, visiting in Necker Island? Look, I think the, we, were, we were incredibly fortunate not only to have the opportunity to go there in the first place, but the timing of our visit also coincided with the, um, with the Virgin Galactic tragedy. So we just landed in New York and as that accident happened and we were going on to Necker Island the next day and Stuart and I sort of looked at each other and thought, well, for very understandable reasons now. We're, we're not going to see Richard Branson. He won't be present while we're there. He'll obviously be off and dealing with this crisis. But um, he, and he did, he went to California and, and he dealt with with the media. He met with all of the staff. He met with the families of the people concerned. And But he came back. He came back to Necker Island because he'd given a commitment to the people who were organising the gathering that we were there as part of that he would be there. And he said, you know, I, I believe in honouring my commitments. And I, I did... I absolutely had to leave. I'm not spending as much time with you as I would have otherwise. I absolutely had to leave and go and deal with with what had happened, as I'm sure all of you understand. And, of, of course, we did completely. But he made some really interesting comments around it in that he said the way that he's been able to grow so many and so many very, very successful businesses is he delegates responsibility for the running of those businesses very quickly because that's what allows him the freedom to then move on to thinking around what the next opportunity and what the next business is going to be and he said if you can't if you've set up a culture where you do empower people to run those businesses like they're their own it's very important that you're there and you're visible and you're supporting and you're there 
in the bad times just as much as you are in the good times. But he said you then also have to know when the time is, when it's appropriate to let those people then run run their recovery to a degree as well. So he'd stayed for a period of time that he felt was appropriate for him to have done the things that he needed to do and to be seen to be there and very visibly supporting. And he certainly, while, while he'd physically left, he was still very much in contact with, with the Virgin Galactic team all the time that we were there. He was very frequently stepping out to, to be on the phone and to be, and to be video, to be Skyping and whatever through to them. But he said, you do actually have to, you know, if you've empowered people to do these things you you then have to let them get on and do it and I thought that was a really valuable lesson because it, it it's very true you you can't let people run things through the good times you've got to be there to deliver the support but you've also got to let them run it in the way that they see fit throughout so I think those, those two really key things around the importance of delegation and really truly illustrating to people that you do believe in their capacity to to do the role carry out the role that you that you've given them to do even in times of of such significant magnitude was really important and secondly the um honouring your commitments almost regardless of the circumstances in the best way that you possibly can. It would have been very, very easy for him to say, look, sorry, just too hard. I've, I've got too much else going on. And I just thought it was an imp- incredibly impressive thing that he, that his personal word and his honouring his commitments is so important to him that he, that he did come back and spend the time with us as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, he would be probably, the, for the ill-informed, probably the busiest person on the planet, it would seem. But, uh, you know, I think there's a great lesson in that, in delegating quickly. And that's something that, you know, as pharmacists, we don't often do enough. And we often spend too much time doing things we shouldn't be doing and not focusing on what our patients really value. And, uh, you know, I think if we can take a lesson away from that and, uh, you know, delegate an extra two or three things in our pharmacy, which is just really going to help us become more operationally efficient, uh, whether it be the way we manage our rosters, the way we manage our payroll, anything like that, um, it's going to significantly improve our business and allow us to look forward rather than in that rear vision mirror. Absolutely. I, I really see our job as, as business owners and leaders is to create be able to very, very clearly communicate what our vision for the business and our expectations are for the business, hire the right people who are then, who also commit to that vision and understand that that pathway that you're going on and then really empower them to be able to deliver on that vision just in just as much as you do. Because the reality is you can't do everything yourself. And if you don't trust people to be able to allow to allow them to do some of that on your behalf, then you really limit how far you can actually go yourself and how far the business can go. And it, and it creates for a better workplace. It creates for a very, very engaged, happy, vibrant employee as well, because they are actually feeling that they do have a say and that they do get to make a real, a real contribution. Absolutely, and I, I dare say that's how you grow a business of epic proportions. Lovely, lovely part. I love that. <laughs> uh, very good. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on again, Kathy. And uh, I'm sure we'll be keeping in touch and uh, following the journey of Epic Pharmacy and all of these terrific and innovative areas that are going to impact pharmacy in the not-too-distant future. So thank you, and I look forward to having you back in the not-too-distant future. Thanks very much, Robert. It's been great to chat. And thank you very much for the honour of being your first second time rounder. I feel very, very privileged. So thanks again. Been a pleasure. Well, after hearing about all the fantastic innovations that are coming our way in the not too distant future, and certainly 2015, it's hard not to get excited and it's hard to contain it. There's an iconic, excitable character, the late Big Kev in Australia, which I think I'm channeling right now. I'm excited and there's so much opportunity in pharmacy moving forward. If I hear one more person tell me that there's no opportunity, they're obviously looking backwards and not looking forwards. And that's really about where my three key learnings come from today. The first one is we're going to play a bigger role. 
Everyone should be excited about playing a bigger role, looking at the whole primary healthcare journey of pharmacy and for our patients and playing a bigger role, not just in supply and to provide you know, transactional advice, but really looking bigger than that. Understanding our patients' healthcare through the data, through the wearable tech data that we're going to get and be able to coordinate. And there's such great opportunity around that. Learning two and three about opportunities that we have in front of us now. And if we don't grab them, someone else will. Take wearable tech, for example. Look at all the retailers, particularly in Australia. We're all over it as far as wearable tech in Harvey Norman, Maya, David Jones, JB Hi-Fi, but where is it in pharmacy? We had a great interview with Craig Simmons not too long ago who've introduced the eye health range and that is getting taken up, but we need to be looking at everything that's available. And obviously, as Kathy pointed out today, wearable tech is now becoming health tech and that's where we need to play a bigger role because we understand it better than our patients do. They can get huge amounts of data from these devices through Apple Health Kit and certainly other platforms that are coming very, very soon. Google's reinvesting in a lot of health ventures, so that'll come soon. And we need to be stepping up to that role as the trusted advisor for our patients. They're going to be littered with more healthcare information, more data, and who's going to be able to translate it? That's right, it's going to be us as pharmacists. Otherwise, they're going to be other health professionals. We've long standing had a battle with nurses over who's the first point of call. And certainly when we look at learning number three around telehealth opportunities, they've already taken that away from us. We had a lot of patients come to us over the ages first, but then Nurse on Call got funded at a government level and we've had more patients called Nurse on Call as the first choice. As Kathy talked about, how fantastic would it be for our patients who are bedridden, they can't get out of the house, just to dial up the pharmacist and get the video technology. I still remember, as I spoke about during our interview, when I was on a student placement uh, down the southeast coast of Victoria in Melbourne, and it was at a, at a pharmacy in Port Campbell, which was a depot pharmacy uh, for a pharmacy not too far away. And the video technology was there, and that was 2002. We need to be looking at it. It's not just for doctors. There's some great initiatives coming out of the US led by Dr. Phil, and who else would it be? But we need to be looking at in pharmacy and just playing a bigger role and promoting ourselves as the trusted advisor for our patients moving forward. And as a bonus, I know I always usually have three key learnings, but hey, we don't talk about Richard Branson in every single episode. I think the two learnings that we took out from that in terms of delegating quickly really plays into the role of having a pharmacist that is operationally efficient and more so our pharmacies and making our whole team operationally efficient. We talk about it as one of the pivotal key pillars of a successful 21st century pharmacy and if we can delegate more and more and some of that will be to technology because it is more efficient uh, we can certainly create more time and more profits to be able to invest in our patient-led experiences and what we actually provide them when they walk into the pharmacy and providing them with magic moments every single time and the second one there as well about honoring your commitments it's it's absolutely key to any great leader and if you promise your team that you're going to do something or you promise your patients you're going to do something even under the most adverse circumstances it's important you follow through there as well and I think that's just fantastic advice to apply to all our businesses and certainly our lives as well well that brings us to the end of another episode of transformation don't forget we've got some big interviews coming your way we've got a special guest in two weeks time who's going to pick up if we've left anything to be spoken about from the consumer electronics show but also cast their minds further ahead as to what's coming for the pharmacy of 20 or 30 years time you may be wondering you may just be starting in your career or you might be winding down what is there more to come but i know that this guest is is going to share some great insights with you that will simply have you thinking more and more about the future of your business. And hey, who doesn't enjoy that? But next week, we've got a great expert in Google Apps. We spoke about it a lot last year about the efficiency
efficiencies that you can gain in your business by moving your scheduling, your email, your documents all to the cloud. And Google Apps allows you to do that. And we've got one of the best experts, Adrian Cosman-Jones from Onsite IT Helper. And he's going to talk to us about how you can do that really simply and easily in your business. I know you're going to love it. Leave a comment in the show notes. Always read and respond to each one of them. And Kathy, I'm sure, will be only too happy to reply to any questions you might have had coming from today. Have a great week, everyone. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye for now.